Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And President Biden ordered the U.S. to share evidence of Russian war crimes with The Hague. We have a great show today. The Washington Post's Will Somer joins us to talk Ron DeSantis staffers sharing Nazi imagery in a pro-DeSantis post. And then we'll talk to Vanity Fair's Nick Bilton about the disastrous Twitter rebrand. But first, we have Washington Post columnist Dana Milbank. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Dana Milbank. Great to be with you, Molly. Delighted to have you. I think of this GOP Congress as doing the work for Democrats in a way that is they are literally every day cutting ads for Democrats. It's really considerate. I mean, can they make a contribution in kind to the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee? But, you know, think about it. We've got, we just had really good, better than expected GDP numbers. Inflation is down. The stock market's higher than it's been since 2021. Border crossings are down. Like, things kind of look good. And the economy and the numbers, the economic growth, 2%. It all looks pretty good. So what are the... House Republicans going to do? Well, first of all, they're going to make sure we shut down the government. Uh, Yeah, that's coming in the fall. As of September 30th. And then, you know, because a lot of people will be, you know, furloughed and won't have anything to do while the government is shut down. They will have the entertainment of impeaching President Biden on yet to be determined charges. Yeah. So they're forcing votes on impeachment. They're seemingly headed towards this inevitable 
uh, shutdown, where they're opposing not just the Democrats and Biden, they're opposing the Republicans in the Senate who are actually trying to increase military spending. But I mean, they just reached, you know, it wasn't even like two months ago where, you know, this big bipartisan debt ceiling bill, and they've already saying, no, we're going to renege on that. We're going to cut an additional $200 billion and we're going to, and we're going to ladle on all of these poison pills, you know, restricting abortions, LGBTQ rights, anything that has the word diversity in it. It's kind of a circus. And then of course, they've just proven that there are alien life forms that are here on Earth. We're going to get to aliens in a minute. But first, I, I want to talk about... I myself. I'm sorry. I know, really. I, first, we're, we got to talk about like all of the other weird hearings they've had over the last couple of weeks. Besides numerous hearings on gas stoves, this is what happens when Rupert Murdoch is the Speaker of the House, really, is that you just start everything you produce is like that. So, I mean, we had gas stoves. We had IRS whistleblower, which may or may not have ultimately been he was just confused. It it sounded a little bit like that. I mean, there were well, there were two whistleblowers, but of course, the one whistleblower worked for the other whistleblower. So (laughs) essentially, they were they were uh, one whistleblower there. And yes, what that emerged to be was you know, they disagreed with what the conclusions that the prosecutor came up with, which apparently happened in 90% of the cases that this guy was involved in. So, you know, look, I mean, as we saw in the botched plea hearing this week, the Hunter Biden case is really messy. You know, that he did a really lot messy. of crap and it's it's really kind of sleazy. And, you know, I mean, the Republicans have also, they've exposed, if you will, that members of the Biden family have made money over the years. What they haven't done is one of the guys on the House Oversight Committee rather candidly admitted last week is they have not produced any evidence that Joe Biden was involved in any of this. <laughs> right, right, right. So, which would you think would be a rather key element if you are in fact planning to impeach the president of the United States. But they're so far, you know, sort of plunging towards that. They're going to call it an impeachment investigation which leads to an impeachment inquiry, which then leads to impeachment. They're hoping at some point along the way they will be able to produce some actual evidence of that. Your contract, that, that Rupert Murdoch is the Speaker of the House, I, I suppose that's right. You know, I think it's more typically Matt Gage and Marjorie Taylor Greene, in, in essence, the Freedom Caucus. But of course, they're also taking their marching orders from Fox. But you know, they say, we're going to shut down the government. Well, McCarthy has no choice. We're going to shut down the government. They clamor for impeachment, well, McCarthy kind of has to go along with it because he's out of a job if he says no to them. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And he has, remember, I think an important data point here is that there is this one person motion to vacate. So one person, be it Marjorie Taylor Greene, who happens to be at least temporarily aligned with McCarthy, or Matt Gates, who has been for a long time not aligned with McCarthy, just one of those people could make a motion to vacate and have put into works a new speakership. Yeah, that's true. I'm not hearing a lot of noise about that, but they they could do something well short of that could, that could still right. grind the whole place to a halt. So this week they said, look, we're going to insist on this extortion of getting cutting another $200 billion beyond what everybody just agreed to for uh, 2024 spending levels. And if Speaker McCarthy does not agree to our uh, ransom demands. Well, we're going to oppose the rule. We're going to not allow these appropriations bills to come to the floor, and they only need 
five members of the Freedom Caucus to do that, and they brought the entire House to a halt. There can be no passage of uh, spending bills or anything else without that. So in a way, they don't even need to depose McCarthy. They can just make the House completely uh, ineffective and essentially just shut it down with just five of their votes. And there's clearly uh, more than five who are, who are very happy to, to, to gum up the works. Yeah, I mean, just incredible stuff. So let's talk about what it looks like with these hearings. So we had the IRS. Now I will let you talk about UFOs. Yes, it's very important. I mean, you can only have so many hearings on transgender Americans. I think we have a few more today. And the, the, <laughs> I think there have been three hearings this week on the border crisis, even though the, the actual border crossings are down considerably. But yeah, so the uh, House Oversight Committee brought in a guy who says he's a whistleblower. He worked in the in defense intelligence, and he has said the most extraordinary things that the United States is in possession of alien spacecraft that either are extraterrestrial or came from another dimension, that there are alien non-human life form pilots, that the United States actually has the remains. We're warehousing these, apparently one of them at a defense contractor. One of these spaceships came from Mussolini in 1933, and the United States at the time got a tip from Pope Pius and was able to intercept that spaceship from the Italians. So, okay, so either this guy has just blown the lid off the biggest scandal in the history of the universe, and somehow everybody, Democrat and Republican, has kept it secret for 100 years. Yeah, or there's some kind of you know wacky business going on here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm agnostic. It could go either way. But uh, it's, it's noteworthy that the House Republicans in particular were giving this, you know, taking this guy's word as gospel. It's just more evidence of the deep state. So the deep state is now covering <laughs> up alien <laughs> life forms. So it's like the anti-government antipathy has gone intergalactic. Like there's nothing that the deep state will not do to deceive and lie to the American people. So let's just talk about this for a second, because I think there is a really interesting question about conspiracy theories. And I want to talk about it for a minute because we are in a period right now where there is one political party that is really ruled by a conspiracy theorist, Donald Trump. I mean, this is a guy who really does come from the world of, you know, Obama was born in Africa. Again, you know, with with Trump, there's always a question of does he really believe it or does he believe it because it helps his career? Right. We don't know. And it doesn't necessarily matter. But he has certainly created a culture. and, And now we have Elon Musk owns Twitter. And Elon Musk believes that vaccines give you myocardia, which even myocarditis, even though we know that that's not right. And that, yes, there's a small percentage, but, you know, whatever. So I just wonder, are we worse than we were in the 1970s? I mean, because remember, my parents believe I mean, my parents definitely did not believe that there was only one shooter who killed JFK. Well, look, there have always been conspiracy theories in a segment of the American public that believes it. The difference now is people in the highest levels of the government or in the Congress or during the Trump administration are saying, you're totally right to think these things, mm-hmm. you know, bringing RFK Jr. into, you know, uh, yeah. speak to the weaponization committee. I mean, this is a guy who says that Wi-Fi causes leaky brain syndrome. Yes. <laughs> he also believes that chemicals in the water are turning the kids trans. Right. Which fits neatly with all the transgender investigations that are underway. 
you know, the difference is people are, are saying and in a high level, people, are, you know, opinion leaders are saying it's legitimate to think this stuff. That's that's the real difference. Now, now some of it's really sinister, like the great replacement theory. That's, you know, white nationalism right there. You know, the stuff with the aliens, I mean, I suppose if you're going to embrace every conspiracy theory that comes along, eventually you wind up with Area 51 in Roswell, which, by the way, this guy says was totally a legit alien landing in Roswell. Totally legit. Did Mussolini f- factor into that or no? It's classified, Molly, so I, right. I, I oh, can't good. really reveal that. But it was the, the Air Force debunking of Roswell. That was a total hack job. That's the actual quote there. So, oh, I mean, this is old school. This is actually the tinfoil hat stuff. But, you know, if you're going to go with replacement theory, if you're going to go with RFK Jr. conspiracy theory, if you're going to say elections were stolen, well, of course, eventually you wind up with uh, the aliens are among us. And in fact, they're malevolent actors who are doing bad things to us. One of the things I think is interesting about RFK Jr., I think, and again, can't speak to what's in people's heads, but it certainly seems in my mind that these Republicans are trying to elevate RFK Jr. because they know that Donald Trump is not growing the electorate. So their guy, you know, I mean, certainly some of them believe that Trump won in 2020. Mm -hmm. And so when he runs again, he'll win in 2024. Mm -hmm. But there are certainly got to be a few people on Earth One here who are like, you know, this guy is not growing the electorate. And when he gets up there for an hour and a half talking about how unfair it is, this is not going to speak to swing voters in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder how much of what's happening here is these people in the Republican Party trying to elevate other candidates in the hope of hurting Biden. Maybe that's happening. I, you know, I think that may be giving a little too much credit and thought process <laughs> to what's actually Jesus. happening here. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of thought process involved. I think, you know, every individual member is recognizing that, you know, the way to get ahead individually is to be, as uh, Tom Massey once said, the craziest son of a bitch out there. Uh, that will get you, that you'll go viral with that. You'll get your Fox News audience with that. And that will give you power. That will give you leverage with the leadership. It's also, uh, you know, assures that you will not be out of step with Donald Trump because that could be ruinous to your career. So I think a lot of it's self-preservation. And as you note, there's no way to really know how many people actually believe the crazy stuff and how many are going, just going along with it. I think it's probably one third, two thirds or something, but it's a distinction without a difference because they're saying the same thing. But it's selfish, it's self-preservation, and I don't think there's a whole lot of strategery going on. I mean, that is the thing that always shocks me is how little anyone in Congress is really thinking about stuff. Let's talk about Mitch McConnell for a second. Really, yesterday he had this phrase. We don't know what it was. It really was. I mean, I have to say, like, you know, I do not align politically with Mitch McConnell, but I have incredible respect for that guy because he's a fucking killer. He has stolen three Supreme Court seats. <laughs> I mean, the man isn't at like Republicans would be nowhere without Mitch McConnell. They really would be nowhere as payment. They have just been, you know, they basically, you know, the Trumpists have been so mean to him, which is fine. I mean, good for them. But he did have this phrase. I mean, talk to me. He has been remarkably and ruthlessly effective. And, you know, I I think he 
deserves a lot of the blame for the mess we're in. I mean, he made, yeah, he's no fan of Trump, but he made Trump possible. This, you know, his in 2016 sort of a deal with the devil saying, okay, we got to endorse this guy, got to get our big donors behind him. Had it not been for Mitch McConnell's acquiescence, I don't think we would have had a Donald Trump. And yeah. sure, he has stood up against him from time to time, but, you know, like notably not when, you know, in crucial moments, like after January 6th, he spoke out against him, but then opposed uh, conviction on the impeachment charges. So, uh, but look, I mean, you know, compared to Rick Scott or whoever the alternative right. would be, I mean, McConnell is certainly a force for good. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, these I things mean, are all relatively speaking, speaking but yeah. we are at the point where Mitch McConnell, you know, may well be the voice of reason. So, I mean, certainly on it, just on the basic human level, you don't want to see that happen to anybody in, in public or anywhere else. Also, he is, you know, one of the very few, uh, you know, I, I hesitate, to say, hesitate to say moderating forces, but given, given where things have gone, he is relatively moderate compared right. to, you know, certainly what we're seeing in the House, you know. He dares to say, well, maybe it's not such a great idea to, you know, plunge ahead uh, with impeachment. So, you know, I w wish him health. Right. I mean, he's a he's a traditionalist who has also caused the incredible fuckery that we are in. Back to sort of the like, you know, landscape right now. I think September is going to be a shit show with the potential shutdown. They have a few more days now. Trump wants McCarthy, unless McCarthy can somehow manage not to have this happen, to expunge the impeachment. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Yeah. As you know, it's it's sort of meaningless. It's trying, it's saying that this thing, that this actual historical event uh, did not occur. It's based on an expunge censure, I guess, of, you know, Andrew Jackson, to, to the extent it's based on anything. You know, it, it has no practical effect. I mean, we were around, we know what, what happened during the Trump years. You know, what it does do is it will force Republicans, including the 10 or so House Republicans who are in Biden one districts, uh, to go on record uh, essentially uh, defending Trump on January 6th and everything else for no real purpose other than, you know, Kevin McCarthy antagonized Donald Trump by uh, uh, initially failing to endorse his presidential <laughs> bid. So now everybody's got to pay the price and go through this expungement. I mean, it's, it's you know, uh, fairly revealing that it's, uh, you know, came from, um, yeah, it came from Marjorie Taylor Greene, but also from uh, Elise Stefanik, you know, a member of leadership. So just like with the actual, uh, with the Biden impeachment, with the seemingly inevitable uh, shutdown, it's just, you know, an, an, another way in which Republicans are going to have to walk the plank uh, because Kevin McCarthy is, a leader in name only, and he cannot protect his members. Yeah, unbelievable. Thank you so much. It has been a great pleasure. I hope you enjoy your vacation. And more importantly, do not forget to follow Dana on Threads. Thank you, Molly. I aspire <laughs> to keep up with you. Yeah, what's your name on there? Uh, it's Dana.Milbank. Dana.Milbank on Threads. Go now. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. 
products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Will Somer is a media reporter at The Washington Post. Welcome back to Fast Politics. I am delighted to have with us today someone I have known from the very beginning, a Daily Beast alumnus. Are you an alumnus? Alumni, a superstar, a friend of mine, a very good friend of Jesse's, the great Will Somer. Thanks for having me. I'm just delighted. So, you know, I was thinking because Jesse and I, you know, we're always booking this show because that's all we do. Um, And we were like, there's a lot of really fucked up shit going on on the (laughs) Internet right now. 
And who can we talk to about fucked up shit on the internet? And I was like, oh my God, Will Somer is the man for this. I do want to also talk to you about what happened to X a little bit. Oh yeah. Not on the technology side, but on the sort of like vibes <laughs> side. But I, I first, so let's first talk about the vibes over at X. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who are not terminally online, like you and I, X is the company formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. And so this is, you know, just a few days ago, Elon Musk said, OK, time to say goodbye to the bird. We're all transitioning. <laughs> and it's like, wait, what? And, oh, time, we, we knew it, the time had to come. We got to grow up and put the bird away. And now Twitter is going to become X. And the backstory here is that for decades, Elon Musk has wanted to call a company X. And so we know when he was at PayPal, he wanted to change it to PayPal. And they were like, no, people know the name PayPal. They're using it as a verb. You know, we have this great recognition. Why would we call it X? And apparently his his reason is, it's cool. It's the coolest letter. And so now he owns the company. Now he owns Twitter. And so he can do it. It is truly, I think, I think we've seen so many baffling moves Elon Musk, but I think this might be the most baffling. I always am a little interested in motivation. Do you think this is because no one has ever told? Again, we're Monday morning quarterbacking. We don't know what goes on in Elon Musk's brain. But if we were to be the Sigmund Freud of this situation, do you think that what happened here is that no one has ever told this person no? I mean, I I think that's it. I think he owns the company and he has sort of like, I think, terrified whoever remains at Twitter. I mean, you know, one one just really strange aspect of all this is the speed with which it happened. There were reports of inside Twitter offices, just, you know, the handyman just rapidly taking the signs down. You know, they were the sign outside of Twitter's San Francisco headquarters went down so fast that the police stopped it because they didn't have permits. You know, someone on Twitter said, you know, why is this happening with the urgency of a coup? You know, like it's just like we got to get this stuff out of here. And so. You know, Elon has said, you know, he's posted these pictures of himself with with the letter X. He says, everyone knows I love X. Um, And and so the the larger takeaway from this, besides just that we're kind of locked in this room with this guy and, you know, he's he's just doing whatever he wants, is that, um, you know, apparently this is part of this larger plan to make Twitter into this sort of world spanning app. This idea that, you know, you'll do your banking on Twitter and you'll do really all of your this is the one app you'll need, Um, you know. And, of course, given that in the past, all of the the things he's seen fit to do with Twitter, including let random sub stackers, you know, just go diving through the emails for whatever they want to find. I mean, maybe not the folks I would trust with my bank account. Yeah. I mean, I I wonder, like, so, yeah, that so he hired this woman, Linda Yaccarino. Is Mm -hmm. that right? Mm -hmm. And she came from NBC and was very legit. She now has the worst job in the world. Which she deserves for taking. But, um, he, you know, she was saying it's going to be a payment company. It's going to be WeChat. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. I mean, you know, if you're just making up these valuations, if you add more functionality, you can make up a higher valuation. But the idea that, that you know, they've, they can't keep advertisers who actually were on the platform, let alone 
I mean, I just wonder if even like a Ron DeSantis would get his bank information at this point. It is fascinating. One of the changes he's made to Twitter is that, of course, people can pay for blue checks now, which come with being promoted higher up in replies. And so we've been introduced to this world of the much more the the Elon brained fanboy. Right. And these guys who are just like, yes, the time is now for X. We've all been waiting for it. You know, it, it's um, X is the future. So these people seem very into it, but I think there are maybe a couple thousand of them. I mean, I think the average person, I mean, it's just very, very bizarre. And as you said, I mean, this Linda Yaccarino, who's coming from NBC, who is apparently a a pretty legit executive there, and now has to say, okay, it's X time. I love this idea. This is great, actually. It's really something to behold. These blue checks, and this is something I am asking for my own notification. We know these are real people and not bots. Well, I think in some cases they probably are. I mean, and, and you know, I, I think that's a good point, Molly, because I certainly prefer to think that they're bots <laughs> right, rather too, than but that there's a real. Like, I, mean it's true. I, I honestly, I feel like I take psychic damage when I read these people's tweets. And, and I have to remind myself that, like, not everyone in the world is like this because I'll be hearing it. I was right. like, what? Everyone loves this Elon's crazy new idea. And why, why right, do we have no, to do I this know. and all this stuff? But the thing is, I think a lot of them are not bots. I think there really are people who just whatever Elon does, they they love it. And I think they have this kind of like slavish devotion to a guy just because he's really rich. Thank God he can't run for president. I myself wonder, like, you know, I used to really read Twitter for the discourse and to see what people would say about an article and and to see. But it does seem and again, we don't know about this. And there's not so much transparency about how algorithms work, or at least I have not seen that. It's such a radically different experience using Twitter versus using threads or versus using Blue Sky, you know, three social networks that are largely meant to have the same experience. And they're radically different. So clearly the algorithms in these three sites work differently, right? Yeah, definitely. I think a big issue with threads has been that they're very insistent on on doing this kind of algorithmic stuff so that I'm seeing some random like prankster, <laughs> teen prankster in L.A. who's just like, like just ep- it was epic. Um, whereas on Twitter, you know, you, you look at your For You page, which is the algorithmic side, and they're just like, you want to see a video of a guy like getting hit by a bus? And, you know, right. I don't. But, you know, that's that's, apparently, right. that's what these companies are pushing. I like the suit guy. Oh, I love the suit guy, Molly. And I I just have yeah. to say, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of an amateur menswear guy myself, and I've been following yeah. Suit Guy long before the algorithm picked him up. I love it. And people are, they, they crave a backlash. I find that guy's content so useful. And people are just like, aren't mm-hmm. we all sick of menswear guy? Are you kidding? He's the last <laughs> good thing on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that was my thinking, too. I was, you know, I have a husband and two sons, and I was sending one of the sons the thing about the the uh, king of Greece, yes. you know, the king of Spain, the king of Spain and his tailoring and, you know, how, because you know, the truth is menswear, like nobody knows how that's supposed to look anyway. So, but anyway, we got to talk about Nate Hockman. Yeah. So let's, I'm just going to give you a little bit of the scene here. The most terminally online presidential campaign ever is the soon to be over Ron DeSantis campaign continue. 
Yes. So th- there's a fascinating thing going on with the DeSantis campaign, and that's there's this generation of young Republican activists um, who often style themselves as the new right. Um, they're right. allied with people like J.D. Vance. I think a lot right. of their ideas, when you boil down to it, are, are basically fascism. Right. Chris Rufo is like this, right? I mean, exactly. this is that crew. It's sort yeah. of like, in a lot of cases, it's like kind of like they want like a Catholic theocracy, like, like Francoism, right. perhaps. And so and you might say, <laughs> I wow. I should laugh because it's scary and they believe it. Yeah. And so basically yeah. their idea is the right of, you know, let's say George W. Bush. We don't like this. We're Jeb Bush. We don't like this because this idea that the government is kind of taking a hands-off approach to the economy has allowed wokey corporations like Disney to run amok. And so we need now we need a government that's really going to punish our ideological enemies and like outlaw drag shows and all these kind of like desantis issues. So a lot of these guys have been attracted to DeSantis. Nate Hockman is a very interesting character. This guy is still I think like 23 at this point. He's really young. And this is a guy who came out of this Claremont Institute, these like really what I think people on the left often call wingnut welfare, sort of like you graduate from college and the Koch brothers or someone else hands you a fellowship and says, hey, kid, just keep pumping out these articles. Your your life is made. And so he's an interesting guy. I think he's part of like the D.C. National Review crew. Exactly. Like a bunch of fellowships, like the the neighborhood in D.C called The Wharf, where it's like, you know, all these kind of MAGA-y, new right types hang out. And this is a guy who, frankly, had it made. He wrote, I think when he was like 21 or 22, he had a huge, like a front page in the Sunday Times review section uh, about like the new right and stuff. And he was quoted a bunch in the Times. He could have been the face of the new right, coasted into book deals and whatever, and in this kind of like proto-fascism, like the friendly face of that. But... He was too online. This is a cautionary tale. (laughs) For for you and I, and mostly for Nazis. But yes, continue. A lot of these guys, they they talk a lot about optics, or they talk about what they call hiding your power level. (laughs) This is real incel talk here. Right. And so so like you can look at something like Charlottesville, which they came to see as a big mistake, not because someone was murdered, but because it is something that for a normal person, you can say, that guy marched in Charlottesville, and they go, oh, geez, that guy's Nazi, right? But right. and so they, they blew a lot of their identities essentially. But for someone like Nate Hawkman, he first he screwed up before joining the DeSantis campaign because he he was caught on a Twitter space. And you know, Jesse knows this from our previous podcast, but the amount of like random right-wing career immolation that goes down on Twitter spaces is truly crazy. <laughs> this is where they talk about like he's having sex at TPUSA in like the lobby at TPUSA conventions, all this stuff, and almost no journalists listen to it, and then I'll just drop in and be like, like, whoa, this is crazy. So yeah. he was praising <laughs> Nick Fuentes, who's right. the white white nationalist leader, and saying, you know, um, oh, maybe he's got some good ideas or whatever. So I think he got fired from a job over that. He ended up on the DeSantis campaign, and he has now been tied to these meme videos that DeSantis campaign was creating and then kind of laundering through third parties, which someone called the FEC, because, you know, this idea of covering up these campaign ads. But the first one was the, the really anti-gay one we all saw, where yeah. it would be, you know, Donald Trump. 
Trump's cool with drag queens. And then here's DeSantis. And he says, we're going to shut down this gay stuff and then cut it with American Psycho. Right. Both homoerotic and anti-gay. Yes. 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 And Peaky Blinders. And, you know, the, yeah. the thing I want to underline there is that they were doing the, this. Molly, do you know what a Sigma male is? No. And if I don't, then our <laughs> listeners also don't. No offense to our listeners. So but, a Sigma yeah. male, it's like, you know, we think of the alpha male, the beta male, the previous right wing obsession with these hierarchies. A Sigma male, they see as a man who sort of goes his own way and is sort of a lone wolf. And so in this case, they, they have these like Sigma male memes, like from Peaky Blinders or what have you. And so they had this very bizarre video. And then more recently, the reporting revealed that Nate Hockman, when he was working for the DeSantis campaign, put out this video of DeSantis. It was sort of like DeSantis is going to institute a new Reich, where they had this uh, sort of a Florida-themed Sonnenrad, and this is a neo-Nazi symbol. This is pretty crazy stuff for the DeSantis campaign to be creating. And then ultimately, he was fired. (laughs) I mean, obviously, not unsurprising, but I mean, I guess they did fire like two thirds of their staff. So it makes sense. But from very early days, we saw this this DeSantis campaign had a really pretty extreme cyberbullying arm led by Christina Prouchard. Yeah, I mean, the DeSantis campaign really is, I will say, they're pretty good at Twitter fights. I, they don't seem right. to be so good at winning primaries. I mean, they get in these like quagmire battles with the Trump people online and, and the Trump campaign, you know, if people uh, watch Dune, I mean, they have these like online like Sardaukar, like death cores who will just debate with DeSantis people forever. <laughs> now, the genius of the Trump campaign is they outsource this, right? Like they have just a right. bunch of lunatics who will will argue all day. But this is but on the DeSantis side. They have actual like DeSantis people in the campaign doing it. And it's just not a great look. Christina Pushaw got in this like a really intense argument with like a 16 year old or something. And, you know, she may have had a point, but you just don't want your, you know, one of your top lieutenants arguing with teenagers online. I speak for yourself. <laughs> I, I think that was what Lincoln did. Jesse just texted me that we have to talk about the sound of freedom. Just give our listeners the TLDR on the sound of freedom. Well, sound of freedom, move over, Barbenheimer. The, the movie <laughs> sensation of the summer is Sound of Freedom, a movie starring Jim Caviezel, who people may remember uh, as Jesus in the Passion of the Christ. Nobody remembers that. <laughs> I went to a, I went to a Catholic school, Molly. It was a big deal. You got extra credit if you went to see it. <laughs> it's funny because it's like anyone who spends a lot of time on Twitter has been like, you know, you've been approached by some blue check who has said, you know, you were so upset by the sound of freedom. I was like, I have no idea what that is. Like, I was like, I don't know what it is, but I na- I've worked really hard not to know what it is, but I guess I'm going to find out right now. Right. So Sound of Freedom is about, it's the, it's sort of a fictionalized account of this guy named Tim Ballard, who launched this group called Operation Underground Railroad that, that purports to rescue children from child sex trafficking. And so the Vice has done a lot of great reporting on his claims, which appear in many cases to be exaggerated. But this is sort of the, the very heroic version of this. Um, now, if all of this sounds a bit QAnon adjacent, you're not wrong, because Jim Caviezel, while the movie itself doesn't mention QAnon, Jim Caviezel is like incredibly QAnon pilled. I mean, he is Marjorie Taylor oh. Greene levels. In 2021, I was at a QAnon themed convention in Tulsa, and he got up there, and I thought that's kind of weird. A guy of this prominence is at this QAnon convention, and he start he said, "I got this movie coming out. It's called Sound of Freedom." 
Kingdom, and it's about how we're rescuing kids from having their adrenochrome drained by the global elites. So, you know, these satanic rituals and stuff. And then he pals around with a JFK Jr. impersonator. They went on a oh, road I trip. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that guy's name? It's actually a second one. I think you're thinking of a different guy. Oh, I was thinking about the crazy guy who doesn't look anything like JFK Jr. Well, this guy doesn't either. Vincent Fusca is the guy you're thinking Vincent of. Vincent Fusca, and, yes. and he's like a relatively nice guy because he just kind of right. hangs out. He is nice, yeah. I mean, nice, relatively speaking. The Jim Caviezel one is a guy named Juan Savin who had this like almost successful scheme to gain control of our elections. <laughs> he's very deep in it. And the, the reason people are talking about Sound of Freedom is because its box office has been huge. I believe it may have surpassed the new Mission Impossible movie at this point. Oh. It beat or roughly beat the Indiana Jones at the box office one weekend. But the, there's kind of a backstory here, which is that they have it set up so that you can buy just huge amounts of tickets for other people and then they can go redeem the tickets online. So people will go to these screenings and find that they're quote unquote sold out, but actually the theater is totally empty. So it's not, I wouldn't <gasps> oh. say it's like an organic phenomenon. Oh, that's interesting. So this is like buying, you know, 20,000 copies of Don Jr.'s book. It, yeah, it, it's very similar to that. The other funny aspect of this is people will go to these, you know, kind of these people who are looking to get red billed on QAnon will go to these screenings and there will be some issue where it's like the, the soda fountain wasn't working or the AC is off and they'll say, you know, mm, the global cabal is trying to prevent me from seeing Sound oh, of Freedom. Yeah. And so there's all these videos of people saying like, hmm, the employee didn't open the theater up quick enough. Uh, Soros much? Oh, wow. That's really stupid. All right. Well, I mean, am I pretty depressed? I'm mildly depressed from this interview. I hope you will come back in the fall so we can talk about the continual death of our democracy. Well, there's so much to talk about, Molly. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks. Hi, it's Molly, and I am wildly excited that for the first time, Fast Politics, the show you're listening to right now, is going to have merch for sale. Over at shop.fastpoliticspod.com, you can now buy shirts, hats, hoodies, and tote bags with our incredible designs. We've heard your cries to spread the word about our podcast and get a tote bag with my adorable Leo the rescue puppy on it. And now you can grab this merchandise only at shop.fastpoliticspod.com. Thanks for your support. Nick Bilton is the author of Hatching Twitter and a special correspondent at Vanity Fair. Welcome to Fast Politics, Nick Bilton. How's it going? You know, living the dream. Uh, so let's talk about X. Let's talk about X. Should I, should I have a Mitch McConnell moment where I just <laughs> stop talking for 20 seconds and we just stand there in silence and then afterwards I make a joke about it? I mean, yes, for sure, that it was you were sandbagged. I'm going to sandbag you right now. What is happening? What is happening with X.com? The update since we've last spoken is that Mark Zuckerberg created a quote-unquote Twitter killer that has not necessarily proven to be a Twitter killer called Threads. And now Elon Musk has changed one of the most recognizable brands on planet Earth from Twitter to X. The letter, I mean, I guess Elon probably sees this as a word, but the letter X is something that goes back for Elon 
many, 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 many years, in fact, decades. And it's something he's right. been obsessed it's such with. Weird. It's so bizarre. One of his kids is called X. It's, you know, it was uh, the first X.com credit card from PayPal. You know, he just is obsessed. There's the Tesla Model X, but uh, the, th- the four Teslas that he sells that the Model S, the Model 3, the Model X, and the Model Y spell out sexy. Right, very stupid. So he's got this kind of like, it's very kind of childish view of branding and things. And I think that this is just another step in that direction. I think where things are going to get difficult is that I don't think anyone's going to adopt it. They're not going to call it X. They're going to continue to call it Twitter. And a perfect example of that is, you know, Google renamed itself Alphabet. Like, when do we talk about Google as Alphabet? Right. You know, right, Facebook, right. Facebook rebranded itself Meta. We still call it Facebook. And I think that this will be the same for Twitter. He'll call it X and he'll reference it as X and the rest of the world will call it Twitter. Let's talk about that. So he wants to call it X. So it's just because he likes the letter. There's nothing else. Well, it's partially he, he has this vision for what he and I think this goes back also back to the PayPal days. But he has this vision for what he calls the it's almost like the everything stores. It's a little bit like Amazon if you if Amazon had a social network, a way you can do anything on one website. And there and the reason for this is like I think I think personally he's seen there are instances of these kinds of technologies in Asia where you have right. an app, WeChat, that, yeah, WeChat and things like that, where you have an app that you do your banking, you chat, you read the news, you it's everything. And I think that. Elon kind of has had this dream of making one of those. And I think that that's what he's trying to do with Twitter. And what will happen is he'll probably integrate all those things. There's no question about that. You know, you'll, you will see some sort of banking in there. You'll see some sort of store power, you know, all these different things. I just don't know if people are going to use it because he has really burned so many bridges with consumers and distanced himself from so many people. I can't imagine. I wouldn't be using the x.com banking system when Elon can be as kind of emotional and and angry over nothing as he is. Right. There is no sense behind any of this. I mean, like you have taken a brand, you have platformed a lot of people who would not otherwise have been platformed. And now you want people to give you their money. The thing about Elon that's really interesting is he has these obsessions, right? It's extreme OCD where he he's like, oh, I want to build an electric car and a driverless car. And he spends his entire life obsessing about how to do that. That can work out really fucking well for him. He built the biggest car company on the planet and changed the entire car market to drive others to make electric cars which they would never have done had it not been for him. So we need to give him that credit. At the same time, he was like, I want to go to Mars and I want to build rockets to go there. And he obsessed and obsessed and obsessed until he did did that and he will do that. And that there's just no question that that will happen. But there is also a downside to that kind of his, that side of his personality. And like this and the X branding, of course, is one example of that. In the 90s, he wanted to change the name PayPal to X and, and replace it. He's kind of talked about since the early 2000s that it's such a novel and intriguing and open-ended term because, I don't know, he's just obsessed with this letter. And that obsession is something that he is going to drive until he breaks it, you know? I don't know what his end goal is here, honestly. I think that, I think he was, he accidentally purchased Twitter 
think it seemed like a good idea at the time because he was pissed off with the the CEO at the time. And I think, and then he was forced to do it because he signed the contracts. And now I think he's just trying to figure out what he can make this thing into that saves space for him. And I think that this direction of this new X.com is the direction he's going to go. That seems like what we're looking at. So explain to me why why he doesn't I mean he just is going to take this to broke I mean what what happens now I mean I think that Elon is is capable of a lot of things but he is not capable of breaking Twitter you know there used to be the saying that that Twitter was the company you couldn't kill I think that a lot of people have tried (laughs) accidentally or intentionally Jack Dorsey was arguably one of the worst CEOs I've ever seen who did nothing. His philosophy as a CEO was that if he had to make a decision, he failed. That doesn't seem like leadership to me. That just seems like passing the buck. He was the person who oversaw the company during the Trump era where he could have had a huge impact on society and the world and the company and chose not to until the very last minute and actually past the last minute. And the company survived. It made money and it was worth billions and it had thousands of employees and and it continued to work. And I think that Elon can Elon his way through anything and he'll say silly things and he'll piss off half his user base and he'll do whatever he wants to do. But when push comes to shove, whenever there's a big breaking news event or there's an earthquake or a riot in the street or whatever it is, people are going to go to Twitter. It kind of has become a part of the fabric of society and there's nothing that he can do to, to completely break it until something better comes along. And I just don't think that we're in an age in society where people want something better. I think that this is the thing with, to go back to Mark Zuckerberg and threads, there's an irony that to the fact that Zuck called threads threads, because the term comes from, of course, like there's two versions of it. The first version is when someone makes a thread on Twitter and, you know, they do like 75 tweets and they're like, threat, check this out. The second version, which I think is more appropriate, is that we all have these threads on our phone. Uh, So like our group chats of people we talk to all the time. And I think that that is what is actually replacing Twitter slowly. It's that being public, it turns out for most people, is not as fun as we thought it would be. And so the iMessages to me, Apple's iMessages and, and these other chat platforms are the new thread. They are the new Twitter. And I think that's where most of the, most of conversation is now happening. It's not happening on platforms in public. Let's talk about that. What does that mean for threads? Threads got a huge bump and then all of a sudden it got exhausted. Yeah, look, I think the reality is we want something from these these platforms. We want them to give us something. They do give us these connections. They give us information and, and so on and so forth. But they also have a vapidness to them and a, a staleness to them. And, a, and the algorithms are too good. The reason the algorithms are too good is because, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't really use social media that much anymore. I haven't posted on Twitter in God knows how long. And I haven't posted on Instagram in a couple of years. And I think I used threads two or three times. I can't even remember the last time I posted on Facebook. But every once in a while, I'll download them and like kind of see what's going on just because of what I have to do for work. And I downloaded Instagram recently and I clicked. There was, it like surfaced a video of like a, a plane landing, like a, from a pilot's perspective. And I clicked on it. I was like, what is that? And then I clicked off. And now that's all of my feed. And I'm like, what the, I don't care about that. Why are you showing me that? And I think that what happens is the algorithm thinks, oh, you like this. So you're going to like more of this. 
it becomes exhausting. And I think that the algorithms are too good, but they're also bad at the same time. And they don't know what it is we like. So they think that they know what it is we like. And that ends up driving consumers away because it gets exhausting. And I think that Zuckerberg thinks that he still hasn't solved the social media proxy platform, whatever it is. He hasn't figured out what it is yet. And I think the reality is that we don't want them. I think that they provide something for a short period of time and then we get bored of them or they make us feel bad because they do make us feel really, really bad, all of them. And people quit and they, they're like, oh, I'm done with that. And I think that he thinks that he can just continue to solve it. And I just don't think it's a solvable thing. I think, again, a place like iMessages, where you have 10 different threads, where you can be different personalities to different threads. So if I have one at work, I'm going to obviously be a lot more polite and not, you know, send silly links and, and say silly things. If I have a thread with my family, I can obviously say certain things to them that, you know, appropriate or not appropriate. And the same thing goes for threads with my friends where I can say something that on Twitter I would get canceled for, or I would lose my job or whatever. Like I could share a link to something that I don't feel like debating with 500 people, but I can debate with three friends. And I think that that's why so many people have moved over to these insular private chats because they're safe and they are with people you know. And that to me is why threads will never work. And they couldn't just make it more like Twitter? Well, I don't think Twitter works either, which is why there's only 330 million people on it versus, you know, there's 4 billion people on social media. There's 5 point something billion people that use these these chat services around the globe. So if you look at it from that perspective, Twitter doesn't work. It's more akin to a big news platform. And I do think what Elon will end up doing is shifting it to be more of a media company because I think that he will realize that getting new users on Twitter is it's not just a branding problem. It's hit its peak. Everyone on the planet knows what Twitter is, but they don't sign up or they don't use it because they don't like it. And so I think that what he'll end up doing is kind of the thing that you're seeing where he's got people like Tucker Carlson and others using it as a video platform. And then it becomes a media conglomerate like a Fox News and with uh, public chat. Oh, God. So crazy. Nick, what else are you watching? I'm paying attention to all of the terrifying things that are going on right now with AI, which is very, very scary stuff. And I have been working on a big story for Family Fair about that. It'll come out later this summer. We're at this kind of inflection point with technology where it is about to, you know, we think that social media had a negative impact on society, wait till you see what AI does. You know, AI, it'll have positive impacts, there's no question. It'll cure cancer and it'll help us explore the universe and all these things, but at the same time, it has the potential to destroy humanity. And I don't say that to be hyperbolic, like this is a, a fact of what AI researchers have been talking about for decades. And yet, in the same way that we, that social media was thrust upon us by the nerds, we are about to have it thrust upon us by the you know, AI by the, by the bigger nerds and, um, and the repercussions could be disastrous. Yeah. Unbelievable. Thank you so much, Nick. Of course. Thank you so much. Happy to do it anytime. And now your moment of fuckery. Jesse Cannon. Molly Jung fast that Rudy Giuliani, not one to be known to be telling the truth, whether it was when he was a mayor and lying about crime statistics and these days lying about elections. 
Well, he was America's mayor, and now he's America's criminal. Uh, Rudy Giuliani has conceded that he made public comments falsely claiming two election workers, Ruby Freeman and Seamus, were not, in fact, passing drives to each other. They were passing ginger mints to each other, and Rudy Giuliani has formally recounted his lying and despite the fact that he has repeatedly pushed these debunked claims. So, of course, the world of the Gateway Pundit will never see this retraction. It will not air on Fox News. It will not be on the cover of the New York Post. So I'm not sure what the use of it is, ultimately, for these two poor women who have had their lives destroyed and had people show up at their houses. But that is the state of America right now. And for that, it is our moment of fuckery. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.